suppose that most of us, if not all of us, we are familiar with that uh, old uh, children's story called, uh, uh, that is named Ansel and Gretel, uh, a story about how the, these two young uh, children uh, go out into the forest. I hope I'm not getting the story wrong. I didn't read it uh, uh, recently, at least. I might have watched a, a cartoon when I was young about it, but the, these two uh, young ones go into the forest, and Hansel, because he is afraid of getting lost, he, he leaves some breadcrumbs along the way, right? The story goes that uh, the birds of the air came, and they, and they, they nipped, they ate those breadcrumbs. Hansel was living, leaving breadcrumbs to point the way. And something similar happens, uh, something similar yet much more profound is happening here in the book of Matthew. Where, and it's, it's happening actually not in the book of Matthew, but in Jesus' ministry, as recorded for us in the book of Matthew or in the other Gospels. Jesus is leave, leaving for us breadcrumbs, traces of his uh, divine mission for us to look and to follow and to understand traces that are emblematic uh, reminders of his, of his divinity, of his power, of his doctrine. And that's what we see here. Matthew tells us in, right here in this passage that we have before us in our text today, that right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in this period that is known as his, the fame uh, period, the, the, his years of fame, that, or his months of fame, um, we see that same ministry being displayed. The, the ministry of the Lord Jesus was accompanied by, with, by a ministry of the word, a ministry of power, and a ministry of much assurance. I could not help, as I was thinking about this passage, to remember the, the, the words spoken by the Apostle Paul. When speaking to the Thessalonians, he said to them, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And I think it is very, very fitting that those that are followers of Christ, those that are Christ's body in the world, display exactly the same characteristics as the head. We're Jesus' hands and feet in this world, so our ministry needs necessarily to have the same marks as the ministry of our Lord. And that's what we read here. Uh, in this small uh, report of what was happening uh, uh, here, and right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see these three uh, elements. Word, power, and much assurance. So the words of the Lord Jesus, or the, the ministry of our Lord Jesus came in words. We read at the beginning that he came teaching, that he came preaching. That's how Matthew describes to us part of the ministry of Jesus. He came to teach and to preach. Why? You might ask, why is it so important to teach and to preach? Well, because of sin. Sin is, is a disease that affects the totality of our bodies, that every faculty and every inch, square inch of our body is affected by sin, and that includes the will, that includes our emotions, and that includes our mind. As we've seen in the, in the, in the, in the previous 
sections and the previous uh, passages, there is something going on uh, in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus that is pointing us that, that Jesus is, is the promised king, he's the, is the, the prophet, the priest, the king, that he is, that he is the, the new Moses. Uh, and, and there is a sense as well throughout this, this beginning of Matthew that Jesus he is ushering in a new creation. If there is to be a new creation, if the, if the, if the, 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 the illness of sin is to be restored to its former uh, primordial beauty, there needs to be a, a restoration of the mind. And this is what Christ came to do. This is what the Messiah, the chosen one of God, came to do, to restore things to its rightful place. And it's through the transformation of the whole being. And it starts with the mind. I'm not speaking of positive thinking. Sometimes when we speak about uh, transforming the mind, we, we think about word of faith, prophetic, uh, name it and claim it. No, but, but it necessarily transformation, if we are to see transformation, restoration, new creation, we will see that new creation begins in the mind as well or is in the mind as well. It's, it's a change of the will. It is a change of the nature. It is not wisdom of men. It's not just imparting wisdom of man. It is the wisdom of God becoming first and foremost. And Jesus came to teach. What did Jesus teach? He taught about the kingdom of God. He, taught, uh, he came to reveal the Father's will. He came to teach about the kingdom of heaven, about the will of God, to reveal the plan of salvation, to reveal how the Lord intends to redeem his people. And to teach us all that is necessary to know in order to live uh, in a life that is pleasing to God. So teaching is an essential element of the, of the work of salvation. Matthew tells us that he taught in the synagogues. Why? Because it was the, pl the public place of worship. It was the place where people gathered to hear the word of God. It was... Uh, uh, an obvious place to start. And it was the custom of Jesus, as we read in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus was accustomed on the Sabbath to be in the synagogue. It was his practice, it was his custom. Notice as well, just in passing, how the, the evangelist Matthew refers to the synagogues. I think it's quite revealing interesting and, and quite revealing of, the, uh, of what was going through Matthew's mind, of what was happening uh, in, the, in, in the first century, he says that Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. If it's their synagogues, it's not our synagogues. You see how Matthew, even here at the start, a few years after the Lord had ascended as he writes this gospel, he's already uh, noticing, he's, he already understands that, that although Christianity, although following the Lord um, has some Jewish roots, it is not Judaism. It's their synagogue. It, it, although there is something of, of New Testament practices uh, that, that, that come from, um, from Judaism, there's some roots. Being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, is not Judaism. Certainly not Judaism as we know it today, but it wasn't even as they knew it back then. 
And Jesus came to teach. And therefore, those who follow him come to learn. If you have a teacher, you have learners. A disciple is one who submits. A follower of Christ is a disciple. A disciple is one who submits to the teaching of a rabbi, of a master, of a, a teacher. A disciple is one who understands that his mind uh, needs to be changed. It, it's very bad students, isn't it? Um, it's a very bad practice if you're a student and you come to a lecture and you come to a, to a, to a class and you, you put it in your mind that you're not going to learn anything. That you're not going to change your mind with anything. That's not a student. That's a very prideful individual that just happened to, to stumble into a lecture hall or into a classroom. Being a disciple implies an open-mindedness to learn from the teacher. And that's what Jesus came to do and that's what his disciples ought to do. In order to have our lives transformed, we have to have our minds changed by the words that Jesus teaches. We need to be taught in order to have the transforming power of God, the new creation in effectuated, applied in our lives. There will be no change unless we are humble to receive instruction, to believe, to obey, and to apply it to ourselves. Matthew also uses another uh, word here. He says that he was preaching. And I'm not going to get into the debates of whether preaching and teaching is the same thing and synonyms or, or completely different. But preaching that carries with it more than just a lecturing, carries with it a proclamation, a, a, a heralding of something. And preaching the gospel of the kingdom is what Christ came to do. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom. That's, that's the meaning of gospel. He came to teach the good news. And the good news... By the way, it's not that God uh, loves you and has a wonderful life, a wonderful plan for your life. That is not the message that Jesus came to preach. The good news of the gospel is repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. But the point is, if you repent, you will be saved. If you turn from your ways, if you change your ways and return to God, God will return to you. That's what repentance encompasses. And the good news is only good news in light of the bad news. The coming of the kingdom of God is bad news to those who are impenitent, to those who don't repent of their sins, to those who carry on loving the things that God hates and hating the things that God loves. It is surprising the amount of people in our day, this is just an aside, it is surprising the amount of people in our day that think, well, I'm not a very bad person. I deserve heaven. God will not be mean to me and, and send me to hell. I'm not as bad as this person right next to me. What makes you think that? When you live your whole, whole life rejecting everything that God wants. What makes you think that once you, get, you, you, you cross the Jordan and you, you st you're standing before the, the presence of the, the holy judge. What makes you think that God has any... Uh, duty or any uh, obligation to, to, to give you that, for, that thing that you rejected all your life 
You've turned from him all your life. All the gifts you have, all the qualities you have, he gave them to you. Life, breath, good health, whatever you, it is that you have, he gave it to you. And what did you go and do with it? You, you used it to, to bring dishonor and to fall short of his glory. To sin. The beauty of God's word, the beauty of the gospel is that there is hope for those who turn from their sins. The, the gospel can be summarized in three, three basic truths. I know that gospel can be summarized in many different number of truths, but three, three very basic truths. We are sinners. That's the bad news. And Christ alone saves. That's the good news. And that the response of the human being, knowing that we are sinners and that Christ alone saves, the, the, the duty of everyone who knows these two truths is to repent and believe, is to turn from their sins. Today, not tomorrow, not in a couple of years' time, not, not after I've, I've, I've sorted out my life, it's now. And Jesus came to teach and preach the kingdom of God. He came to make us know the truth about our own selves, about his love and mercy and grace and compassion, about, what, what it, about the reality of sin in this world and in our own lives. How can we be saved from our own worst enemy, from sin and death? And Jesus didn't do this just in the synagogue. He actually, we read here, that he went outside of the synagogue. He used the synagogue, yes, but he also went out on the streets and he was telling people how wonderful this is to understand about our Lord Jesus. He was under no obligation to, to go out. He was under no, obligation to, under no obligation to come into this world. He came voluntarily, out of his own will. And yet, as he comes, he even goes voluntarily into the streets where the people in need are. Actually, he searches out that which was lost, both in his coming and incarnation, but even throughout his earthly ministry, you see this gentle, loving, merciful attitude of our Lord Jesus. He's searching, and even now he's speaking, and he's searching for you if you're an unbeliever, or even if you're a believer in sin. He's telling you, repent, turn, Seek forgiveness and you will receive it. Come to me and I will unburden you and I will heal you. That's what our Lord Jesus came to do right at the beginning as the kingdom of God is coming to this world. The long expected Messiah comes. That's how the ministry or that's how it comes. In, in teaching and in preaching the word of God. Later on, after the ministry, earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus uh, is done, after he dies, rises from the dead, and is, uh, he comes to the disciples, he says, go out into the, all the world and make disciples, teaching them. Go out and preach the same message that I preached. Tell them about the Savior. Tell, tell them about their sins. Tell them about the Savior. Tell them about salvation and healing and new creation. 
when he met with the disciples just before his ascension, and we, it's recorded for us in the book of Acts, he tells them, go out and preach the gospel, in, in, not only in Jerusalem, but to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. It is important. It is the, the defining mark of a church. One of the defining marks of a church, it is that it preaches the gospel. It, it, it applies the word today. And how does that apply to each and every one of us? If you're a believer, it applies to you in your families, in your, in your work environments, in your neighborhood. It applies to you just the same. You don't need to go into the, into the, uh, to the outer regions or, uh, or the remote regions of this world to fulfill the Great Commission. You can fulfill it where the Lord has placed you here and now. And you can fulfill it exactly like the Lord Jesus fulfilled it, out of compassion and love for the sin-sick, dead world around you. That is why we preach the word. That is why we place the word uh, first and foremost in the ministry of the church here. One of the, the slogans, I don't know, when, when I had to do the, the church's website, this, this was one of the slogans that was there. I just kept it. But preaching God and the word of God to the Battersea community, I think something like this. Uh, since 1884, am I right? Since 1884. That's what the church here at Ridley Hall has been doing for and, almost 140 years. 140 years preaching and teaching the word of God. Not only preaching it from the pulpit, not only teaching it uh, in, in Sunday school classes, but teaching it outside, reaching, trying to reach and save the lost. Preaching the message of the kingdom. That's what every church should do. And that should be first and foremost in the ministry of every church. As those who follow after the, the incarnate Savior, the incarnate God, our Savior. Because we know, don't we? We know that unless the word is preached, no transformation will be reached. The transformation, the regeneration that happens in the soul, the new creation, is not a, doesn't happen outside of the living word. It is applied by the spirit, yes. There is a spiritual uh, element that lies outside of our control. It is God that does it sovereignly, but he uses the word both in saving and in sanctifying. That's why we preach it. But the word not only came in, within, or the, the ministry of God, the gospel did not only come in, in word, but it came in power in, in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. Power, healing. We read that in verse 23 and 24, that Jesus came healing every disease, he, healing all kinds of sicknesses, all kinds of disease among the people. That's a summary. He came teaching and preaching, and he came healing. And verse 24 then is an explanation of, of the summary. He came preaching and, he, and teaching and healing. And verse 24 uh, expands on this summary and tells us the kind of diseases that he came to, to heal. They brought him sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics, and paralytics, and healed them, and he healed them. Brethren, Jesus came to heal every disease, and why is this important in the context of new creation? Sin, sickness, and death only exist because of sin. Uh, sorry, sickness, diseases, 
and death only exist because sin has entered the world. If God, if our Lord Jesus is going to deal with it, he will display his power of dealing with sin by treating the, the consequences of that sin. That is the work of new creation. It's healing those things that were lost uh, in the garden. Jesus comes to illustrate the power of the gospel, or Jesus heals to illustrate the power of the gospel to transform people's lives. It is the healing power of his word, of his work, of his, of, his, of his work of salvation. He comes and he reverses the effects of the fall. Not only he comes and buys us uh, and redeems us and, and, and procures for us atonement, peace with God, but also the consequences that of sin are dealt with. No more death has dominion. Death has lost its sting. He came not only to deal with the guilt of sin, he came also to deal, deal with the misery that is caused by sin. Don't you feel miserable when you're sick? Don't you feel miserable when your body doesn't function in, uh, as it should? That is all the, the results of the fall. That is the misery of sin. So Jesus' miraculous acts of healing deal or showcase his power not only to deal with, with the guilt of sin that will happen uh, at the cross, but to the sh showcase his power to correct, to fix, to restore the effects and the results of sin. They, all, they are done to confirm that Jesus is the one chosen by God. As a prophet from God, chosen by him. These, mar these signs, these miracles are, are, are signs that point to the ultimate power that he has. You remember the words of Nicodemus. When Nicodemus in John 3 comes to Jesus, he says, Because no one can do the signs and the miracles that you are doing if, if he's not, if, that you do, except if you're, God is with him. No man can do these things, these miracles that you do unless God is with him. That's the point of these miracles, to showcase that God is with Jesus. John 5.36, as Jesus compares himself to John the Baptist, he says, But I have a greater witness than John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish or to accomplish, to do the same, the same works that I do, bear witness of me. That the Father has sent me. These works display to us the, the supreme power of Christ to heal all the diseases. And we won't, I had intended, but we won't go there. But all these uh, diseases uh, are, are, are displayed. Display to us the, the wide range of the misery of sin. You have diseases of the body, of the mind, of the soul. And Jesus comes and fixes and repairs all of them to prove that the kingdom of God has indeed arrived. That the, the prophecy of Isaiah 35 that we read in the beginning is being fulfilled right before the eyes of those there in 2,000 years ago. It's universal as well. Notice, that, let me just say this. It makes no respect of persons. 
It's not just for the select chosen uh, elite uh, of a nation or of an ethnicity. It's for everyone who would come and be healed by Christ. It's for Jews and Gentiles here in this passage, even before, uh, before the, the, the Great Commission is given to go out into the whole world. Jesus is already performing this, both to Jews and to Gentiles, to those from Syria, to those from Dec- Decapolis, to those from Jerusalem, from Judea, from everywhere and anywhere. If people would come to him, he, they would be healed by him. Regardless of their race, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their social uh, uh, position, regardless of their education, anyone, uh, just as much as everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, anyone who repents and comes to Christ for forgiveness and healing is healed by Him. All kinds of diseases. It's funny, isn't it? When, when you look at some of these faith healers in, 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 in television, those, these televangelists, they only heal the, the really difficult diseases to be healed. It's the headaches, it's the, the, the muscle pains. It's, it's, they never do some kind of, it's those kind of miracles that really stand the test. But not Jesus. He healed those sicknesses that no one else healed No one else could fake. He healed completely. Epileptics, paralytics, demon-possessed, those who were in torments, all of them healed. Look at his mercy and power. Behold him, our Savior. His loving mercy. What is the sickness that you have today that he cannot heal? He healed freely and he still does today. It's not, well, I'll say a little bit more about this, but he still restores, regardless of race, regardless of social status. He is the savior of the world. Not the savior of the Jews, not the savior of the rich, not the savior of this or that. He is the savior of everyone who would come. The savior of the world. Isn't it interesting as well, just in passing before I I close with, with my third point. Isn't it interesting as well that in the same way that the ministry of our Lord was in word and a ministry of mercy to those who were sick, that he also, as the church is organized and, and established, he gives the church two offices, two main roles, one primary and another one as a secondary. Just like in the ministry of our Lord Jesus, the preaching was the primary, the, the healing was a, 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 an aid to, to sign or to point to the, the preaching of the gospel. In the church, you find the same thing. You have pastors, elders, bishops, whatever you want to call them from Scripture. And then you have the diaconal ministry, both the Word and the mercy ministry. There in the church, the elders lead the ministry of the Word, the deacons lead the ministry of mercy. So I just find it interesting that we see that in the church as well. But finally, and, uh, and briefly, 
the word came in uh, the the gospel came in word in power and with much assurance we read don't we that people were assured there was his fame spread throughout Syria throughout the pagan area that the Lord uh, was famous and people were coming from anywhere and everywhere many people followed him and just like today many of those who came and followed him were not true disciples there are many ways to responding to the, of responding to the gospel call For many different reasons. There were those like in Jesus' day who came because they wanted something in their lives to be fixed. And they heard of this miracle worker that fixed all the problems. And they came. And they came to him seeking deliverance. Same thing today. There are those who only draw near to God when something is going wrong in their life and, and they want God to come in and, and like, a, like a, a mechanic, like a butler, come and fix my life for me, God, so that I can go back and live away from you. When life turns and, and is, uh, turns the wrong pear-shaped, as they say, when the life turns, it's upside down and everything seems to be going wrong. That's when people start praying. That's when people start uh, looking for God. But that's not how you are a disciple. Many come to churches seeking deliverance from their problems, from their needs. But they do not want to admit that actually the biggest problem that they have is the problem of sin. That is the biggest problem. In verse 23, we read that Jesus healed every kind of disease and sickness among the people in order that they would, uh, that these signs would point to his ministry, to the assurance that he is indeed who he says he is, that he is indeed the savior of the world. And we as the church of God, we are to follow in this ministry of teaching and preaching and in this ministry of healing. What is the healing that we have to offer today? God can, is the one who heals, but we preach and we believe in a healing God. The, the, the disease of sin, the misery of sin, alcoholism, God can heal you from that. Selfishness, idolatry, hatred, Envy, wickedness, adultery, homosexuality. God can heal you of those things. And yes, homosexuality is a sin. It's not to be celebrated. Self-centeredness, selfishness. God can heal you of all of those things. These miracles point to a merciful God, to a merciful Savior. There are other miracles in the Bible. Moses was a great performer of miracles. God used Moses to perform many mighty miracles in Egypt. You know the difference between Moses' miracles and Jesus' miracles? Is that Moses' miracles were miracles that displayed the judgment and the wrath of God. They were miracles of, of punishment for the Egyptians. 
On the other hand, Jesus' miracles displayed the mercy, the grace, the loving kindness of God. They are miracles that are meant to, they're, they're meant to point to, the, to those receiving them and seeing them, how merciful God is. There are miracles that fulfill the longing and the expectation of the prophets of a Messiah who would come and, and restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. And the lesson for us is simple. There is nothing that is outside of God's reign. He is sovereign and the kingdom of God has come and there is nothing that he cannot do. There is no pit pit so deep that Christ uh, is not deeper still. His mercy is more than our sins. His power is greater than our weakness. He can do it. And perhaps you are sitting here this evening or listening in at home or wherever. You are thinking that there is no hope. That your particular situation is so despairing, so beyond the, the realm of any fixing that there is no hope for you. It's very nice that you're saying this, preacher, but you don't know my situation. No, I don't, but I know the God that I preach to you who is able to turn the worst of situations around. And if you come to him for healing, he will heal you. If not in this life, in glory he will. But he will heal you of the greatest of all your sicknesses, of sin and death. And that is the first. And when you come to glory, all those other sicknesses that are just the, the symptoms of the main sickness will be fully done away with. In glory there will be no sickness, there will be no pain. He will heal you. I usually, I say this jokingly, but it is true. The problem with faith healers, the problem with prosperity, uh, health and wealth, prosperity gospel, is that they just get the time frame completely wrong. Or they assume that God will do things in their time frame. I can promise you this right here and now, the Lord will heal you. If you turn to him in repentance, if you believe in him, if you come to him for salvation... He will save you and ultimately will heal you of all of your diseases. If not in this life, doesn't matter. In eternity, all of it will be done away with. He has dominion over all of it. There is no place that he cannot reach. There is no, uh, no fortress or no stronghold that he cannot break down. That he will not take dominion over. I tell you today, he has the power to cast out demons. He has the power to heal epileptics even now. These miracles of Jesus are meant to teach us about his power. They are not meant to, to, to teach us that, he, that he's going to do it 100% of the time as soon as we ask it. They are meant to display to us the power of the gospel. The power of the kingdom of God. And the greatest of healings is that you were once dead in your sins and trespasses. Spiritually dead. And God can raise you up to newness of life. New creation as Paul says. That's what Christ comes to do. He heals in different ways these days. 
even as Jesus' healing ministry was unique in his own day. But he heals nonetheless. The good news that Christ preached is the only good news to those, is only the good, good news to those who are repentant. It's only good news to those who come to him. So come to him. Do not put it off. This is the day of salvation. This is the day that the Lord has made. If you have not known him, he says to you, come to me. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. This is a universal call. Do you know yourself to be weary, heavy laden, with sickness, with sin? Come to him for rest. There is no burden that he cannot carry for you. Come to the one whose message is the good news of the kingdom, who has the power to deliver you and to bring full, complete salvation and healing to your life. Come to him.